This is Lee Sauls, author of Sales Differentiation, 19 Powerful Strategies to Win More Deals at the Prices You Want, and you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas in order to succeed in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners where you can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast, or just click on the link at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Lee Sauls to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his new book, Sales Differentiation, 19 Powerful Strategies to Win More Deals at the Prices You Want published by HarperCollins. Lee Sauls is a keynote speaker and sales management strategist on sales differentiation, Salesforce development, hiring, onboarding, compensation, and other sales performance topics. He's the CEO of Sales Architects. And prior to that, for most of his career, he served in sales and marketing uh, leadership capacities. He's also an award-winning author of several books and is a featured columnist in the business journals and is a media source on sales and sales management and has been quoted and featured in the Wall Street Journal, CNN, the New York Times, MSNBC, ABC News, and numerous other outlets. And interesting facts, he is a championship powerlifter and proposed to his wife in the White House Rose Garden. Lee, congratulations on sales differentiation and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you so much. So I got to ask... What were you doing at the Rose Garden? My hunch is that not just anybody can get in there. No, actually, that was a, that was a plan. I wanted to do something special to, to propose to my wife. And one of my best friends uh, growing up, I'm going back to high school now, was a branch chief in FEMA and was able to arrange a private tour of the White House so that I could pro- propose in the Rose Garden. And this was two years to the day from when we had met. And she didn't believe for one second that we were going to the White House. What I had told her was that the White House was having a special dinner thanking FEMA for their work on the Olympics. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we were invited as their guests to, to come to this dinner. And she didn't believe it because, you know, it's two years to the day. She was suspicious until, of course, we pull up to the White House. Says to my buddy's wife, oh, I thought I was – 
getting engaged today and she's all disappointed <laughs> and, and of course my buddy and his wife are those they should oh honey I'll, I'll talk to lee i'll see what i can do and get to the rose garden got down on one knee and asked her and you know here we are 20 something years later and she never did say yes she just kept saying oh my god oh my god oh my god oh wow <laughs> But you did get married. Uh, that's an interesting story. When I proposed to my wife, I actually made a TV commercial and uh, edited it onto the end of a, a movie we were watching. So, and she said yes, and then she said you're really weird, and then and then she said, "Can I see that again?" So. You know, we all have these creative ways of doing it. So at any rate, well, listen, Lee, this is a fantastic book and it's a sales book. So why is it so important to me to have sales books on the Marketing Book Podcast? And as uh, regular listeners will know, it, the most successful marketers are the ones that have the deepest understanding of sales. But let me also say that in reading this book, there were so many ideas for content that marketing people could and should be developing for their companies and to assist in their sales efforts. And I don't know if that was the intent here, but I just looked through here several times in the book. I wrote tremendous content opportunities as well as, you, as you know, this was more for sales. But I knew it was going to be good because the forward is by Jeb Blunt, and he's a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club. I've been able to interview him three times. Of course, he's written 10 books, but also... This book was recommended by a past guest and a regular listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, James Muir, author of the phenomenal book, The Perfect Close. Well, you just named a couple of rock stars right there. Yeah, and also at the beginning of the book, there were several luminaries who uh, had praise for the book, and I counted it up. There's I've been able to interview seven of them. I was just so excited. It was like a it was like a marketing book podcast reunion. But so I thought, boy, this is going to be great. I can't wait to read it. It's got all the right signals. And then Lee Sauls, I start reading the first page, and I I see on the very first page you say I'm the best sales consultant in the world. And honestly, I thought, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? James Muir, come on, you've never steered me wrong. <laughs> Jeff Blunt, did you did you realize what book you were writing it forward to? And I cringed when I saw that at the beginning of the book, but then about a page later, I realized that is exactly what you wanted me to do. What the heck were you doing there? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, you, you should see what that looks like. I just did it the other day uh, with a with a crowd and seeing their faces. So the the way I open the talk and I reference this in the book is, you know, there's so many thought leaders. I mean, gosh, you just referenced some great ones out there. So many business books you could be reading. And so when I'm in front of a, an audience, there's so many business thought leaders. How did Lee Sauls wind up being the one who's standing in front of you here today? And so, well, let me tell you, I'm the best sales consultant in the world. And and it's great because the room, I make the room really uncomfortable because the first thing that happens is people start chuckling because they think I'm joking and I get visibly annoyed and I make the room really uncomfortable. And then I ask them this question. If you, oh, by the way, before I do that, I ask them for three descriptors of me, given my introduction to them as the best sales consultant in the world. Uh-huh. And people are usually really nice. They say, confident, well-spoken. I had one, I, I this totally threw me. He said, uh, handsome. 
It's mm. like, I don't know where you got that from, the best sales consultant in the world, but I'll take that. <laughs> right. So anyway, and then I, I put up on the screen, here's what people are typically thinking based on that introduction. Cocky, arrogant, full of himself. None of them are positive. Mm-hmm. And so then I flip it back to when I say, if you're thinking that, if you feel that way about me, here's my big question for you. Why do you think your clients feel any differently about you than you feel about me in this moment when you come marching and preaching that your company, your people, your products are the best? They feel the same way you feel about me. I talk about this buyer eye roll. You don't always see it, but it's there. It's a, oh, here we go. Anytime a salesperson says that what they have is the best. Yeah, and it happens so much. So, Lee, what is sales differentiation all about? So it's a philosophy that I developed over about 30 years, working with companies, all different industries, all different sizes, pardon me, uh, that sell products, services, technology, selling B2C, B2B, government, doesn't matter what you sell. There's always a conversation about price. And prospects, because we're all prospects, we all buy, we're always trying to justify the price that's been associated with whatever it is that we're buying. And so that's when the game begins is trying to figure that out. And so sales differentiation, the core purpose is to help salespeople win more deals at the prices they want. And and there's two parts to sales differentiation. There is sales differentiation around what you sell and around how you sell. And as you know, half the book is dedicated to what you sell sales differentiation and the other half is dedicated to how you sell sales differentiation. And that's because, spoiler alert, (laughs) this is one of the big (laughs) points of the book, is how you sell is probably one of the biggest differentiators you could have. Absolutely. No, it doesn't matter what we're selling. At some point, you max out what your differentiators are. Mm -hmm. From what you're selling. Yes, from what you're selling. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, explain to listeners what the worst day is in the life of a salesperson when they realize (laughs) something. (laughs) It's the day you wake up and say, oh my gosh, I sell a commodity. That's the worst day in sales. And and I and I, in the book, as you know, because you're referencing this, I bring the reader back around. Because when, when you have this feeling that I sell a commodity, what you're really saying is the only thing people care about that I'm selling to is price. That's the only thing that matters. Mm-hmm. And the root cause of that feeling is the search for an answer to an erroneous question, which is what makes us unique? Mm -hmm. And I, and I remember this many years ago, I had helped to build and sell a company to a competitor. And I'm standing in the, in the conference room with the executive team from my now new employer. And I said, okay, we're all family now. Tell me what makes us unique. And 20 something years later, I'm still waiting for an answer. (laughs) Right, right, right. But it wasn't their fault. It was mine. I asked the wrong question. What yeah. I should have asked is, what makes us different? Right, right. And that's why you talk in there about unique versus different and why it's really not so so vital to be unique as it is to be different. And by being different, there are a lot of things you can actually control. But let's think about the audience here and, and answer the question that I think a lot of salespeople would be asking, maybe even marketing people. Isn't all this differentiation stuff you're talking about? A marketing issue? 
Yeah, it's not just marketing people and salespeople, it's executives. When I when I first have this conversation around differentiation, their minds shift in one direction. It's marketing differentiation. Mm-hmm. And they're not wrong. I mean, there certainly is marketing differentiation, but then there's also another side of the equation, which is sales differentiation. And I define the two differently, as you will, and, and they're related. They build off of one another, but they are different. So marketing differentiation is one-directional communication for the masses. That's what trade shows do and websites. It screams, hey, look at us. We're we're here. It paves the way for sales conversation. Mm -hmm. But sales differentiation, again, builds off of that, builds off the awareness of the capabilities and the solutions that can be brought to bear. And sales differentiation is two-directional communication with an individual specific buyer. So it's personalizing that experience. We've got all these capabilities out there, but now we're going to make it very, very specific with this individual because everyone buys for a different reason. So we have to take all of this potential that marketing does a wonderful job of doing and making it very specific and personal to me. And I'll give you an example of of the difference between those two. In the 1990s, Luxury car companies like Lexus and Mercedes, they discovered they had a problem, which is they had shifted their business model from selling cars to leasing them. And as you know, when you sell a car, you sell it once, it goes away, never to return. But when you lease it, two years, three years, it comes back like a boomerang. And the way the financial model works is you lease it at a particular price point. And then you have to sell it at a particular price point to achieve the desired margins. Well, these cars would come back and they say, okay, we got to sell these cars. And there was an expression for them, which is used cars. And we in the general public have a perception of a used car. We'd probably use the word a jalopy. That's the car you buy for your child when they first get their driver's license because, you know, it's going to get banged up. So these luxury car companies, they had to be able to sell these cars at a premium price and were hamstrung by this perception, used cars. And as you know, they came out with this new moniker of certified pre-owned, as if we didn't believe that someone else's butt had been in that seat, had to put certified, couldn't just call it Mm pre-owned. And it worked tremendously well. It changed the perceptors. Countless articles and studies done, if you go into Google, in how the perception had shifted because what they were attempting to do was reach a different caliber buyer than what the used car was associated with. They wanted to reach someone that had the financial wherewithal to buy a new car, maybe not a new Lexus or a new Mercedes, but a new vehicle. That's who they wanted to attract for that certified pre-owned market. And like I said, it worked tremendously well. So to bring it back around, it was marketing differentiation that intrigued someone to come and look at a certified pre-owned vehicle. But it was sales differentiation that led to one specific car being in your driveway this afternoon. Because again, given your financial wherewithal, you could have bought one of many cars on a particular lot or on multiple lots, and you also could have bought a new vehicle. Right. Before we go on to the part about how selling is such a significant differentiator, that I think a lot of companies don't realize. Let's talk just briefly, you know, as it relates to the first part of the book, what you sell. What are, t- talk a little bit about 
how companies can go about finding sales differentiators. Um, there's lots of them there. And talk about what you call the sales differentiation universe. What are some of the things in that constellation that people could be looking at that are, are in fact, uh, would be helpful to differentiate the product they're selling? Yeah. So let's come back to what we talked about a moment ago, which is this search for unique. And we said we should be looking for something different. Mm -hmm. But what we should be looking for is this aggregate story, not looking for does it come in this exact size or in that exact color or this exact shape, but looking for the aggregate story that we can position in a meaningful way, in a compelling way that the competition cannot. And so when we talk about the sales differentiation universe, there's six categories, if you will, or components to the sales differentiation universe which are aspects or areas of your company where these differentiators reside. As a matter of fact, one of those is the company. There's the people that you have in the company. There's the products, the service, the technology, and even the memorialization of the relationship, also known as the contract. I have a client, very competitive industry. Strategically, what they said is, all of our competitors require these lengthy contracts with these auto uh, renewals associated with them. Our approach is going to be no contract, and we're going to position, we're going to earn your business each and every day, and it works tremendously well. One overriding one among those, there was a study done among procurement agents, and a lot of times in the B2B world, we do work with procurement, and they are taught to evaluate a supplier's quality management system. And one aspect that they look for is how that supplier uses client feedback to improve various aspects of the business. So how it uses it to improve the product or the service or the technology. And if you're selling there, obviously you want to mine out those differentiators. And if your company actually does that, if you are soliciting feedback or you've taken client ideas and used it to a mature product or a service or change the way your technology works, that's a great conversation point to differentiate you from the competition in that procurement market. In the book, there must be five or six pages of all these different things that companies could be looking at. And I guarantee that anyone listening to it who looks through here, they're going to see several and go, gosh, why did we think of that? There, it's just a long list of things. You even got this knuckleheaded podcaster thinking about <laughs> some different things that, that we could be doing. It's really amazing. And it's, it also reminded me of so many companies that were able to pull out a few of them, and it made a big, big difference. Um, but let's go on to the part, uh, part two about how you sell. And let me just tell uh, share a story uh, from an author that's going to be on the podcast soon. It's uh, Mike. Lieberman, who, with his uh, business partner, Eric Keels, has written a book, their second book, called Smash the Funnel. And Mike is uh, another marketing agency guy. He's up in Philadelphia, a great agency. And I remember him telling me, and I also saw him give this in a talk once, where he, he talked about um, new clients that they had won. And he, he went back to talk to them about what was it that made you hire us. And he thought that they were going to say, oh, because you're a big agency and you guys are great and you have all these uh, really smart people working for you. No. He said that most of them said, we just like the process you took us through. We liked the way you sold to us. 
It was the experience mm-hmm. that he gave that, that his company gives these prospects that w- is what they really like. So it was really illuminating. So talk about that. And also, let me just ask open with one quick question. Why do you say no salesperson should ever have an elevator story? Oh, yeah. Now everybody just tuned out. <laughs> oh, no, it got my attention. I'm sure it did. I get a lot of attention when I make that claim that we should never have an elevator pitch or an elevator story. And how many books and studies and blogs are, are, are hearing that expression and, and say, oh, my gosh, this guy is nuts. Well, well yeah, my- but you know what? It's the same people that say when you make a cold call, the first thing you should say is, how are you doing today? It's true. True. Well, my issue is not the concept of an elevator pitch or an elevator story. It's thinking of it with the word and in front of it, an elevator pitch, an elevator story, because that means you see selling as one dimensional. And there's countless studies that show, I'll use B2B selling, for example, the number of people that are involved in making the decision. We need a strategy to engage each person based on their role, their concerns, and their interests. Here, I'll give you an example. Imagine you and I are in the same business. We, ne- we sell copiers. And today's a very exciting day for us because today our company has just announced the first copier on the world, in the world, that can print 50 shades of gray. Mm. Very exciting time for us. And tomorrow we have a meeting with the CFO to talk about this new copier. I hope none of our listeners would be talking about the 50 shades of gray with that CFO for so many reasons. Yeah. Most importantly, that CFOs don't care, care about colors, shades, and hues. What do they care about? Oh, probably uh, carrying co- uh, replacement costs, purchase yeah, economic. costs, service. Yeah. 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 Economic impact. And then in the afternoon, you have a meeting with the director of marketing to talk about this exact same copier. And that individual does care about colors, shades, and hues. Great conversation there. And then the next day, you have a meeting with an IT manager, again, to talk about the same copier. Doesn't care about the financial impact. Doesn't care about color, shades, and hues. What do they care about? Integration, security, reliability. Three completely different conversations around the exact same product. So that's what I mean when I say, and elevator pitch. We don't want to do that. We need to have a strategy to get someone excited about what we have to offer given the role that they're in. And again, that's what you're describing here is you call them DIs, decision influencers. Right. And of course, having been in the military, a DI is also a drill instructor, so it struck oh. terror. It struck terror <laughs> into my into my heart. So I really was paying attention. But it's relevant to content that marketers are producing because you do, in fact, need to produce content and you need to have this information that's relevant to these different people. If all you're doing is talking about the Fifty Shades of Grey, I mean, it's, just, it's exactly the same thing from sales and from, from marketing. Lee, I want to ask you to talk about a, one of the big concepts here and as, as it relates to how you sell. And you say again and again, people don't know how to buy what you sell. You may think they do, but why is that so key to effective sales differentiation? And I'll tell you what, that's one of the most important takeaways that I hope the reader has with this book, that whole point that people don't know how to buy 
what you sell. Because we think now that all this information is available at your finger, fingertips with this fad called the internet, that our buyers know how to buy what we're selling. And there's a question that I've asked salespeople all across the country, outside of this country, all different industries, all sizes, selling product, service, technology. The question is this, who knows more about the world of potential solutions in your industry, you or the people you sell to? And I've never had a single salesperson say to me, oh, the people I sell to know much more than I do. (laughs) Never one, right? We have an expertise in our arena and we forget that. We see CEO, we see CFO, we see president, COO, EVP on a business card. We say, oh, they know what they want. And we approach it just as order takers. We don't think of ourselves that way, but we do. I'll tell you, one of my favorite questions to ask an audience, what's the difference between a regular apple and an organic apple? Raise your hand if you could tell me what the difference is. Mm-hmm. And I've never had more than 5% of the audience raise their hand and say that they know the difference. And my point is, we don't know how to buy an apple. We can't make an informed decision on an apple. You think they can buy what you're selling, right? So this whole idea that we have this expertise in our industry that others don't possess, they may think that they do. And that's why we've got to be careful in how we approach with this expertise If we come in in lecture mode and want to tell people everything they don't know, even though they don't know it, it's still going to make for a very, very short meeting, a very short interaction. Yeah, kind of a show up and throw up sort of thing. Yeah. And you know what this reminds me of is when companies will, you know, maybe it's after a sale and they didn't get the sale and they go, God, I can't believe those morons bought from those other people. They're terrible. It's a bad product. They, They don't know what they're doing. Well, whose fault is that? Right. Yeah. I I mean, I'll give you a great example of this. The city of Denver is being sued right now. Actually, there's several lawsuits against them over a decision they made with their traffic lights. They made the decision to change their traffic lights from incandescent bulbs to LEDs. Mm -hmm. Which probably, it seems like a good idea. They're brighter. They last a long time. They use less energy. Right. Strong business case. And whoever it was that sold it to them never asked a really important question because there's something that Denver gets a lot of more than most places, which is snow. And the question that they should have been asked is, so as you know, incandescent bulbs get hot and they melt the snow off of your traffic lights. What's your plan to remove the snow from your traffic lights? Because LEDs don't produce enough heat to do it. Had that question be asked, I'm guessing they never would have made that change. Well, but I don't think a salesperson would have asked that because they might have been fearful of losing the the sale. Well, that might be the only sale they ever make for that reason because what is a buyer going to do? Hold that salesperson accountable for guiding them incorrectly. Right, and they'll tell the world. Yeah. So coming back to your point that you raised with me about people don't know how to buy what you sell – I believe because of that point, that provides both the sales obligation and a sales differentiation opportunity. I believe that if you're in sales, you have an obligation to help people make an informed, educated decision. The opportunity comes with being able to help shape buyer decision criteria and help them make that right decision for their needs. So I would 
completely look in that example at the salesperson and say, you may have gotten a nice commission check, but you failed in your commitment to your buyers. Yeah, and also when you're teaching your buyers how to buy, mm-hmm. your credibility goes way up and because they can sense if you're just trying to steer them strictly in your direction. But you also talked about a corporate visions uh, statistics I've, I've heard of before about 74% of buyers choose the first salesperson that adds you know, value and in, in, in provides provides insights. And that is such a great way to do it. And it also reminds me of like Marcus Sheridan, uh, his book, They Ask, You Answer, where he saved his struggling pool company by simply answering on his website every question they'd ever gotten. And it was questions like, why should I not buy your product? Uh, what are the differences between yours and another? What does it cost? What could I expect? And basically, he was he was teaching them how to buy so that when they determined on their own that they were going to do that, he's still closing at very high rates and people Mm -hmm. trust him and it it really works out well. But let's move on to another topic you brought up, which was really interesting. Explain what a sales crime theory is. (laughs) Yeah, I get asked that one a lot. So this is a, it's a prospecting strategy and it's based on this. Imagine it's two in the morning and there's a pounding on your front door. It's the police. They want to have a conversation with you about a crime that's recently been committed. Well, they don't randomly pick your home and you for a conversation. They follow a trail of evidence, put together a crime theory, and that crime theory has led them to you for a conversation right now. Can you guess where we're going? They're not knocking on every single door. No, they're not. It's an educated strategy that they have, and that's the premise of the sales crime theory. When I ask salespeople, do you like prospecting, you know, calling strangers and having them hang up on you or slam doors in your face? Of course, they always say no. I say, well, there is somebody that hates it more than you. You know who that is? The people you're calling. Amen. You got it. There's no purpose for the call. So the idea behind a sales crime theory is based on the answer to this question. Why should they want to have a conversation with you right now? We need to seek that answer so that there's purpose for this call. Here, I'll give you two examples. One salesperson makes a cold call to a VP of manufacturing, says, hey, um, you're a VP of manufacturing, and I'm guessing you're responsible for quality and cost reduction. Am I right? Because we help with that. Mm-hmm. Salesperson number two calls and says, I recently read an interview in the business journal with the CEO of your company talking about quality and cost reduction uh, initiatives for this upcoming year. And I'm guessing since you're the head of manufacturing, a lot of those initiatives are going to fall to your plate. Am I right? And of course, they say, absolutely, I am. Well, those are some of the aspects that our company helps uh, VPs of manufacturing address. Who's going to be more likely to get that meeting? The per- the latter. And also, that is going to be the only pitch they get like that. Amen. Different. Yeah. You know, when I ask, I ask salespeople, this is another one of my favorites. I say, who's your biggest competitor? Oh, and, yeah. Good one. Good one. And, and it flies right out of their mouth, right? It's, it's company A or company B. And I say, well, I'm sure they're pretty good. There's, there's an even bigger one. And the, someone will say, oh, the old sales trainer one, the status quo, the choice to do nothing. And it's that too, yet that's also a really good one. It's formidable, but there's even one that's bigger. 
And I'm yet to see any organization think of it in this way to recognize their true competitor. Do you know who that is? Hmm. Because this is not in the book. It's not in the book, but it's in the video. It is. That's going to be on your show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. I don't want to give it away. Go ahead. Okay. Tell us. It's every other salesperson that is calling the same person you are trying to get a meeting. Mm -hmm. So if you think of these executives that you're calling, no one has a job description that says you need to meet with a salesperson every hour on the hour. (laughs) No one has that responsibility. So we think we tunnel vision and we say, okay, we're reaching out. We want to talk with them about whatever it is we sell. And we think we're only competing against uh, company A and company B, but they're being inundated by calls and emails from salespeople all from within their purview or their responsibilities trying to get a meeting. So we're all competing for FaceTime, and I don't mean the Apple technology. I mean the ability to intrigue someone enough to say, I want to meet with that individual. Because if you can't get the meeting, there's never a proposal. If there's never a proposal, there's never a deal, and good luck getting quota. Yep. That's a great insight because until I had seen that video, I was always thinking status quo. You know, they just couldn't make a decision, you know, in part because they're happy. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I want to ask you about one thing that, again, had enormous implications for, for marketing people. And, and that has to do with most people think that, you know, salespeople, as it relates to objections, you should overcome objections. You know, it brings to mind Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, always be closing. <laughs> Yes. Now, you don't agree that you should always be overcoming objections. What do you recommend instead? Yeah. So, and you're right. I mean, countless books and articles, and I say this to audiences, fill in the blank. Salespeople should do what with objections? And they always say overcome. Yeah. And I said, so do you build relationships with your clients? They always say, oh, absolutely. That's what we do. We build relationships. I said, so put this together for me. We're saying we overcome objections. And I build relationships. So I'm going to beat up my buyer, and then we're going to hug. <laughs> In the book, you said you use the word pummel. <laughs> I yes. laughed. You, yes. pummel, you pummel them uh, with <laughs> trying to overcome the objections, and then you want to hug. <laughs> yeah. and so That works in a boxing match, maybe, but nowhere else. That's true. Well, because you do hug at the end, don't you? Yeah, well, actually, you hug, you hug to keep the guy from lifting his arms up to get true. another shot at you. But <laughs> enough about my boxing career. There you go. That's that's a very good point. So what happens is when we see it through the lens of objections, whenever we get one of those, what we've heard is the word no. And so what do we take out of our tool bag? What are boxing gloves and say, okay, <laughs> we got to fight this through and because I'm going to overcome the objection. The other option you have is to see it through the lens of a concern. And if you see it through that lens, what you've heard is, help me. And you sit on the same side of the desk and help to work it through. Mm -hmm. It may seem subtle, but if you look at the deals that you've won and the deals you've lost, when you won, you didn't blow the competition out of the water. When you've lost, they didn't blow you out of the water. It was little things that were done from beginning to end of the process that leads to the decision being made. Amen. One of the things you talk about in the book is figure out what all their concerns are. And I think you even got a grid in here that says, look, (laughs) these are probably the biggest concerns or objections you get. And here's when you get them. You know, how can you address these? Maybe it would make sense 
to address them before they come up. Right, right. So in other words, and, and again, part of the talk that I give, so wouldn't it be great if we could make it so that we never receive concerns, objections, stalls, whatever it is, we'll call them, wouldn't sales be grand? Yeah. Well, you can't tape the buyer's mouth shut because that won't work. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get the deal that way. But if we can get inside the mind of our buyers and, and what they're thinking and proactively address it before they ever raise it, we're providing value. We're demonstrating expertise. I'll give you an example. I have a client in the oil and gas space, and they provide services around uh, solid drilling waste. When you drill for oil, the dirt that comes up is contaminated, and it needs to be dealt with. Very, very sensitive, and these oil and gas companies do not want to wind up on the news around this particular topic. So one of the uh, strategic Uh, decisions they made was to have confidentiality agreements with their clients. They will never disclose who their clients are, a way to protect them, Mm -hmm. which their clients love. But now imagine you're selling this. And what's a question that someone's wondering? Who else are you providing these services? Yeah, I need references. And they bring it up beforehand. They they say, look, this this is just the deal. And actually, that becomes a sales differentiator. It is. So what happens is if they let it come up, they are responding to it and responding by definition is you're on the defensive. So mm-hmm. this is just a fact that they provide a confidentiality agreement, how it's perceived. We have total control. So if we let them raise that question, we're going to respond. We're going to be defensive and say, all right, I really can't tell you, but if we're proactive and at the very beginning say, I know a big question on your mind is who are we providing these services to? Well, one of the aspects that clients love about us is we provide a confidentiality provision in our agreement. We will not disclose who we provide services to, which helps to keep you out of the media. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you're uh, working with us, you would have that same benefit. Right. Now we've taken that same point and we've positioned it positively. Right. And it's sort of like, uh, you know, how do you deal with these... uh what could be a potential objection, you get them on the table beforehand. And it also seems like when a prospect is saying, wow, I, I, I hadn't thought of that. I appreciate you telling me that. You've then, in a certain way, you're kind of poisoning the well for your competition because they're like, God, those guys never brought that up. Absolutely. Let me ask just one other question that was could have been just one of the most important topics uh, in the whole book. As it relates to what I mentioned before, status quo, you know, you're dealing with people that just don't want to have to make a change because change is terrifying. And we all sell change regardless of what we're selling. Talk about how to deal with this air quote, happy buyer that needs to be jolted out of, of their complacency. Ah, Okay. So that's in the, at the end of the book and it builds off of understanding what your differentiators are. So in that first half of the book, walking you through identifying differentiation around what you sell and then also incorporating what you've learned and how you sell. But it's a strategy that's designed to disrupt buyer complacency because 90% plus of the time, if you're lucky enough to get someone on the phone, they're going to say to you, we're happy. Mm -hmm. We're happy with what we're using. We're happy with what we have. And their hope is that you go away. But if the lion's share of the calls you're making leads to someone saying that and you're going to go away, where are your sales going to come from? (laughs) 
Well, I guess you could probably annoy them every three months and call back and see if anything changed, which is, that's not going to work either. Right. So in the book, I walk through this strategy around, are you happy or satisfied? That's a question that that you would pose to them Mm -hmm. because they're not synonyms, but you also have to give it context. And what they'll say back to you is, well, what's the difference? Oh, well, now we're in conversation. This is our first step of progress. We're happy about this. The door has been jarred just a little bit. Well, if you say you're happy, that's like someone getting an A on their report card. It means they've exceeded your expectations. But if you're satisfied, that's like getting a C on a report card. It means your minimum basic expectations have been met. So coming back to my question, are you happy or are you satisfied? And now given that definition, it's rare that someone says happy. But again, the book walks you through how to handle if they say that they're happy, how to handle if they're satisfied and where to direct that conversation based on the sales differentiation strategy that you've built in the earlier part of the book. Right. And they also are starting to realize that they could be happier. So in other words, you say, oh, I see. So um, when your company does this, you know, does that make you happy? What do you mean? They don't even do that. Whoa, whoa. You know, then they start thinking, oh, man, I'm being taken advantage of by the uh, by the incumbent provider and so forth. It was very interesting. And I guess maybe it's not fair to ask that question <laughs> if we haven't gone through every aspect of the book. But Lee, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? That people don't know how to buy what you sell, which gives you both a sales obligation and a sales differentiation opportunity to shape buyer decision criteria. Amen. The secret of getting ahead is getting started. And it seemed to me, having read the book, that if companies would just start by saying, well, well, what could we be teaching? What could we be providing to help people make that decision? They would start to realize, wow, there's even more things we could be doing to make this buying experience very uh, good for our prospects and then make them want to to buy from us and gives them a sense of what we're like to work with. So, Lee, what books have inspired your work and career? Uh, I'd say one of my all-time favorites is Harvey McKay's Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive. Uh When I was first starting out, Miller Hyman's Strategic Selling was another one that really – strategic selling and also conceptual selling that really grabbed me all those years ago. Mm, Miller Hyman. Terrific. Well, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading? Yeah, there's a few. So Eat Their Lunch uh, is just coming out now. Uh, Anthony Iannarino, I've had an opportunity to get a, a preview copy of the book, and it's absolutely fantastic. He's been on the podcast. Has he? Okay. Yeah. I'd have one again for this book. It's terrific. Yeah, it is. Jeb Blunt's Fanatical Prospecting. It's been out a little while, but at, I'll tell you what, it became a classic in yeah. an instant. And then uh, Larry Levine's book, Selling from the Heart. Have you had him on? No, no, I don't know about that one. That's one I would, I'd look that one up. He'd be a great guest to have. Oh, okay, great. Another, let me add another one in, uh, not to put words in your mouth, but we talked about objections and. Uh, oh, sure. Objections. Uh, Jeff Blunt's other book about objections. Holy mm-hmm. cow. Yeah. That was absolutely terrific. So, how best can listeners learn more about you and your newest book? So for the book, go to Amazon. It's available in hardcover, Kindle, and audiobook. As a matter of fact, there's a, um, a bonus that I'm offering. If you do buy the book in any of those formats, go to salesdifferentiation.com and click on the little bonus flag there. There's a video series that I have that's not normally available to the general public. It's just available for workshop clients. And you'll get a video a week 
for 20 weeks helping you to put into practice what you've learned in the book. But you can also reach me if you go to my website, salesarchitects, and that's plural, architects.com. Terrific. You know, that's a great uh, – I hear from a lot of um, listeners and, 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 believe it or not, sales managers who listen to the podcast. And I, a few of them, I've actually sent links to, um, oh gosh, maybe 15 or 20 books about sales that have been on the podcast because they're going to have like lunch and learns for a, you know, every week. And they were putting together a program. That, what you're offering, that would be a great thing where a company could – you know, get get the book for everybody, and then go through a video uh, a week if 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 you would allow that. Yeah. Well, we'll include links to all those sites, your Twitter, your LinkedIn profile at this episode show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And for the listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your podcast player, like Apple Podcasts. All these links can be found by going to this episode on your podcast player and clicking on the show notes link. Please don't do it if you're driving. <laughs> so, Lee Saltz, I've read your book. I've now been able to interview you. I just want to say you may, in fact, be the best sales consultant in the world. Oh, my goodness. See, that's, that's meaningful when someone else says it about you. There you go. There you go. So the name of the book is Sales Differentiation, 19 Powerful Strategies to Win More Deals at the Prices You Want. The author is Lee Sauls. Lee, thank you very much for coming on the Marketing Book Podcast. I had a blast. Thanks so much for having me. And that closes the book on episode 204 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan, visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast or just click on the link at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Pam Didner to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about her new book, Effective Sales Enablement, Achieve Sales Growth Through Collaborative Sales and Marketing. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Sean Armstrong.